pork barbecue cooked over hardwood coals is a deeply important food in the American South. It's celebrated, it's beatified, it's also trafe, which is to say it's not kosher. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. We are a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and I'm John T. Edge, your host. This week, Gravy Goes Global to explore slow-smoked pork on another continent, in the Middle East, in Israel. We take a look and take a taste of an unexpected food in an unexpected place. The emergence of pork barbecue in Israel tells us much about the popular spread of Southern cuisine, and also about the worldwide dynamism of cuisines in general. Margaret Weinberg brings us first to Israel, and she eventually returns to the American South to explore the state of the porcine union back home. I've got this family cookbook. It's well-loved, well-worn, and chock-full of Southern recipes, North Carolina pulled pork, gumbo, and grits. It's also full of Jewish recipes, like rolled cabbage, blintzes, and latkes. I'm not a religious Jew. I do not practice a lot. Uh, I do not keep kosher. Uh, That's my Aunt Lynn, one of the many contributors to this cookbook. Her specialty is spinach casserole. As we talk, we're sitting on a back patio in Memphis, Tennessee, with Aunt Lynn's cousin, Diane Mendelson. Both Aunt Lynn and Aunt Diane grew up in a small town in northeast Arkansas called Osceola. I don't do a lot of the things that a, someone that's more Jewishly oriented does. A no, lot it's of, not Jewishly oriented, it's more observant. Jewishly observant. I am not Jewishly observant. (laughs) A couple of years ago, I became fascinated with my family's cookbook, and I started interviewing my family members who had grown up Jewish in the American South. My mother was, she didn't get to practice a lot of of the Jewish traditions. Being in a small town, she and Aunt Mary, many times they'd have to come to Memphis to get the kosher delicatessen, but they kept our homes Jewish. Did you keep kosher? Of course, when I asked this question, I knew that they didn't. There's cream in our chicken, pork in our rolled cabbage, and if you've been to the South, you know that pork is everywhere. It's an important food historically and socially. Not to mention they lived an hour from the closest kosher grocer. We did not keep kosher, but we had Jewish homes, and and we did uh, over the Jewish holidays and things. They would come to the Jewish delicatessen, the Jewish grocery here to get a lot of the... But they were also very good cooks. They learned... Last year, a friend sent me an article about a barbecue restaurant that was, like most barbecue restaurants, not so kosher. We're selling pork belly. We have a pork neck, asparibs, and uh, here we have a a pancake with uh, pulled pork. The restaurant was called Truck Deluxe, and it served barbecue standards like spare ribs and pulled pork. But what's so special about Truck Deluxe? Well, it's located in Tel Aviv, in Israel. First, a quick lesson on Jewish law. The word kosher refers to a group of dietary rules set out in the Old Testament. Keep in mind these three biggies. No mixing meat and milk, 
No shellfish of any kind. And definitely, definitely no pork. When my grandmother arrived in a village in Siberia, she was greeted with a pig roast. She was offered pig's blood to drink and some pig's meat to eat. And her family, even though they were starving after traveling by train uh, against their will all the way from Poland, they said no because they didn't want to give up on their identity. That's Jeffrey Jaskowitz, a writer and founder of the website Pork Memoirs. Jeffrey is Jewish American, like me, but unlike me, he was raised kosher. There was always something about pork. It just felt like it was beyond all the other non-kosher foods. It was the most transgressive. Somehow, if you added a piece of bacon to an already non-kosher cheeseburger, pork just put it over the top. This emphasis on pork is the ultimate no-no. It's not unusual. A cheeseburger mixes meat and milk, but bacon brings it to the next level. Jeffrey still doesn't eat pork. Israel, the self-proclaimed home for Jews in the Middle East, grappled with rules around pork from its very beginning. It banned the breeding and selling of pigs in 1962 with the exception of nine Christian Arab locales, and the import of non-kosher meat has been banned since 1994. Yael Raviv is the author of Falafel Nation, Cuisine and the Making of National Identity in Israel, and a professor at New York University. Yael is a native-born Israeli. And this, so this idea of uh, forging a Jewish nation, uh, this, these notions that are um, of kosher food and the holiday traditions and so on, were part of that story of you know who we are, what we are, what is the story we want to tell the world. Um, so, for example, if it's the Jewish state, we want all state um, organizations or ventures to be kosher. But what if everyone doesn't fit into that same story? What if kosher food doesn't belong to every person's definition of Jewish identity? Today there are 8 million people living in Israel, 75% of them Jewish, and most of them first, second, or third generation immigrants from all over the world, Eastern Europe to Ethiopia. So if that's the case, you have to sort of, that was the idea of maintaining this notion of a Jewish state, and then um, if people are coming to, to Israel from all these different um, diasporas, how do we make them feel like they belong together, right? And, and this is the one thing they all had in common, this notion of identifying as Jewish. So we have a young state, made up of immigrants, attempting to forge a national identity. We have kosher laws that ban pork, and an Israeli regulation that does the same. Within Israel, there are Jews who eat pork, and there are Jews who don't. I'm in Tel Aviv trying to make sense of it all, and to try those ribs at Truck Deluxe. Tel Aviv stretches along a waterfront promenade from the sand-colored buildings of old Jaffa to the glittering modern city center. The smells of grilled meat, lamb, chicken, no pork, and spices waft from the carts of street vendors. My first stop in Israel is with Inbal Baum. Inbal grew up in the U.S. but visited Israel often as a child. Today she runs Delicious Israel, a food tour company that introduces tourists to the country via what Inbal calls food diplomacy. Food. A lot of us also go abroad after, after you finish the army. Um, Israelis will go to South America and to, um, to all over the world. And so they're exposed to this food that here it's called the white steak or the lower cow. <laughs>
I meet Inbal and her young daughter at a cafe near the Carmel Market in Tel Aviv, where old men sip espresso and young Israelis work over large mugs of coffee. Today, and what's happening today is that people have money, or even if they don't, food is sexy, and so people want to be spending money on food. So we have a whole new type of restaurant and food scene that we never used to have. And so when I think about people today, I think about what do the people want today, which is um, which is Japanese food and Italian food and um, French food and, uh, and anything glo really global. But for some Israelis, eating white steak is a little more intentional. So, for example, my my husband, he is very uh, anti-religion, and a lot of that is because the religious institution in Israel makes a lot of rules that don't really fit for the masses. And so, whereas in the United States, there's a lot of choice in religion. Um, coming, growing up, I had the choice of of different Jewish backgrounds, conservative, reform. My family really was exploring that as well. And according to Inbal, that type of flexibility has not historically fit in Israeli framework. Whereas in, in Israel, that is a no-no. There's no such thing as that. You're either religious or you're not. And so it creates a polarization that is challenging then for later generations to come out of that, uh, out of that mentality. So this tension between secular and religious Israel, it finds its way into food. And given my own family's history of navigating religious identity and Jewish foods in the American South, I find this particularly fascinating. A lot of people in Tel Aviv who are moving away from that move away really, really far and say, I want all the pork and shrimp, you know, give me some bacon-wrapped shrimp immediately, <laughs> uh, covered with cheese, too, because that, to them, is their way of straying from the, what the government tells them to do or what here in this case with the, the religious council so involved with the government that that they really are um, are having a struggle with that what if being told you can't have something by your government or by your faith just makes you want it more <laughs> truck deluxe is a brick and mortar storefront nestled across the street from a cinema and a Kabbalah center. At night, it fills with hip, young, and non-kosher Tel Avivians. Per its name, the cooks dish up orders from the facade of a truck in the back of the restaurant. In Israel, there is not a permission to sell with a truck. So we, we decided to open a new restaurant and to bring the truck to the front of the kitchen. That's Amigal Moyal, one of three partners responsible for Truck Deluxe and its sister restaurant, Pandak Deluxe. Pandak means wood. Amigal tells me Pandak is more traditional southern smoked meats. They're most famous for their spare ribs, while the newer truck deluxe is what he calls American diner style. The menu here is eclectic, ranging from street tacos stuffed with beef to pancakes topped with pulled pork, but none of the offerings are very kosher friendly. I think pork is it's, it was uh, something like taboo in Israel. Uh, but from year to year, uh, the, the pork most more selling. We are combine our name with pork, uh, and we don't afraid of it. We do it with no problems at all. Uh, but a lot of restaurants are, uh, are, are afraid to, to put the pork off the front. Truck Deluxe tops its pulled pork with a sweet, thick sauce that makes me think of Memphis. However, Amigal tells me that the inspiration for both restaurants actually came from barbecue joints that his partner Ori had frequented in New York, and he himself has never been to the American South. 
He tells me he sees it as barbecue with their own twist, but that doesn't mean they're shirking tradition entirely. They smoke all of their meats low and slow with wood. Here in the, in, in the truck deluxe, we are doing something a little bit different. We combine the, the between, but all the process are similar to America. Uh, in Jaffa, we do in the old school way. And we, we specialized in smoked meat and pork is definitely something uh, that came hand to hand with this. Of course, there are non-pork offerings. My favorite is a pan-fried cauliflower with a sweet Asian-inspired sauce and scallions. But under Jewish law, the whole kitchen would have to be kosher for anything coming out of it to be considered as such. When I first heard of Truck Deluxe, I thought its embrace of pork must be a political stance. But that's not how Amigal sees it. We just want to make and continue make an unusual food. We don't want to, to do pasta and all the mainstream. We want to do good product to be able to bring a good price for the customer. And we want the flavor that the customers come to us again and not to another restaurant because we serve in something specific. And I'm reminded of what Inbal said. Israelis are traveling more. The world is opening. And maybe we could see pork barbecue in the same category as Italian or Japanese or other global cuisines in Israel. But even without explicit political intent, Israeli laws still affect Amigal. Remember, he can't import pork from abroad, and there are only a few domestic producers keeping prices high. This is the another problem that just uh, three companies in the north are selling pig. And we have to buy from them and from their own price. Amigal doesn't see these regulations relaxing anytime soon. After all, he reminds me, he is still operating within a religious state. Would you consider yourself religious? No. Not at all? Not at all. Not at all. Is Tel Aviv a religious city? Not at all. Is Israel a religious country? Uh, I think this is more politically, <laughs> but uh, yes, in our government, yes, the, the, the government makes decisions that uh, uh, influence on the people of not religion. So, uh, so yes. Amigal defines himself, as well as Tel Aviv, as not religious. I see what he means. Tel Aviv is Israel's second largest city and the country's financial center. It feels distinctly more secular than the rest of the country. Yet both Amigal and Tel Aviv exist in what he defines as a religious state. As Israel opens to the world, people like Amigal and Inbal's husband are finding ways to negotiate their own identity. And for some, an explicitly non-kosher diet is part of that negotiation. Coming up, we return to the United States and we look at the relationship between Jews and pork below the line mapped way back when by Mason and Dixon. But first, here's that donor music. Mm -hmm. 
Meet Sandy Cronick, CEO of Eastern Carolina Organics, based in Durham, North Carolina. Eastern Carolina Organics is a marketing and distribution agency that works with North Carolina organic farms to help make sustainable agriculture more viable. Farmers have so many complicated details that they need to juggle. The most important thing that we could do for them is let them focus on their farm and we take care of the rest. Thanks to their unique partnership with Whole Foods Market, Eastern Carolina Organics is able to assist North Carolina's organic farmers in planning for in-demand crops, crops that work well with local soils, crops that complement fair labor practices. When you next visit Whole Foods Market, look for fresh foods grown by Eastern Carolina Organics farmers. Your purchase supports responsible small farming, just as Whole Foods supports this podcast. Eat real food from Whole Foods Market. It was a small town of about 7,000. That's Mrs. Norma Fisher discussing with me her childhood in Carbondale, Illinois. There were, I think, four families. I was the only girl, period. There were a couple of uh, boys my brother's age or a few years older than myself, but I was the only girl. And so I had no Jewish girlfriends. Though Carbondale may be considered more Midwestern than Southern, Mrs. Fisher lived out her adult life in Blyville, Arkansas, a small town that shared a temple with Osceola. In Blyville, she found a similar religious landscape. We found our niche, so that's it. (laughs) But I was always very cognizant of the fact that I was not a part of their society, that is, the Mm -hmm. Christian world. But I still had girlfriends of all faiths. And even in in Blyville, uh, when we, we played cards, there were... Methodist and Presbyterian and Catholic and the one Jewish couple, us. And when asked if she kept kosher, Mrs. Fisher replied, No, no. The answer is not at all. (laughs) No. (laughs) In the second half of the 20th century, there were few Jewish families in Blyville and Osceola, and hardly any who kept kosher, maybe only one or two. Remember, the nearest kosher grocery was an hour away in Memphis, and none of the local restaurants served kosher meats. But in today's South, access to kosher foods is a different story. Um, So for me, in keeping kosher, I I do a lot of brisket, a lot of beef ribs, chicken, and then I make a lot of uh, southern side dishes. Keith Marks is a barbecue enthusiast whose phone number literally includes the instructions dial 1BBQ. Keith got his barbecuing start at a festival in Birmingham, Alabama. The festival was called When Pigs Fly Kosher. So as my team and I were there in Birmingham cooking, we said to ourselves, we need to bring this concept to Atlanta. And this year, we're setting up the fifth annual Atlanta Kosher Barbecue Festival. That's right, Kosher Barbecue. I call Keith when I'm back from Israel, my head still spinning. I'm thinking about Israelis eating pork in Tel Aviv. And I'm thinking about my own family eating pork in the Mississippi Delta. 
and I'm wondering if there's a flip side to this. If I can look at pork in Israel as a sort of opening up, an increasing flexibility, the result of migration or globalization, then might Southern cuisine also be experiencing the flexibility of a modern age? With increased access to kosher ingredients, I'm not surprised that there are kosher barbecue festivals in places ranging from Long Island to Pittsburgh to both Kansas cities. Everybody is looking for barbecue beef ribs and brisket. In case you're wondering, Keith himself does not keep a kosher home. He grew up conservative Jewish and non-kosher in South Carolina, though he does find himself cooking kosher more and more, adapting his cooking along the way. I've had to learn to adjust my recipes, especially with lowering my salt content, to help balance the salt that's already been brined with the meat to get a, a different balance of flavor. Keith explains that all kosher meat is brined in salt. It, it helps with cleaning out the process of extracting the blood away from the meat. Um, so it does have a higher mm. salt content than other meats. In addition to coordinating Atlanta's annual kosher barbecue festival, Keith also operates a kosher barbecue food truck. He sees this as a true community mitzvah, a sort of Jewish good deed. I, I am definitely filling a gap, um, but in the same time, I'm doing a mitzvah. I am bringing the community together, surrounded by great quality kosher food. I have the ability to say, hey, I would like to be at so-and-so's synagogue to do a pop-up barbecue concept and bring the community in to enjoy each other over great food. And Keith sees kosher meat in the South as a growing market. There are several restaurants around the South that do a great job with having kosher meats. There's more and more vendors. Um, the accessibility of getting meat down to the South is, is fantastic. It's not as challenging as it used to be. It's not just about changing food. It's about changing ideas. Both in Israel and Atlanta, the decision to eat or not to eat pork reflects an ideological flexibility and a willingness to redefine customs that once seemed set in stone. I wonder if my great-grandparents had lived in the Atlanta of today instead of the Arkansas of the mid-20th century, whether they would have made the decision to keep kosher. So I'm creating this environment that one, um, kosher's important, kosher is cool, um, and kosher's going to bring people together. Whether it's the opportunity to eat more pork in Israel or less pork in the American South, both of these stories seem to me like they're ultimately about choice in an age of exposure to new cuisines and growing access to new ingredients. But having a choice doesn't mean that everybody will make the same one. I'm back at Truck Deluxe in Tel Aviv on my last night in Israel. A member of the kitchen staff shows me around, pointing out a burger that is made of half beef and half pork. This is, we call it hamburger half-half, uh, uh, which means half meat, half uh, uh, meat from kettle, and half from chazir uh, or pig. Oh, so like half pig, half beef? Yeah, exactly. I get to talking with the kitchen manager, Diallo. The pancake that he showed you now, we take it out with this meat. It's the shoulder of pork. Big shoulder. Always wear it here. 
He shows me the pork shoulder that they use to top their pancakes, but when I ask Diallo about his favorite dish at Truck Deluxe, he says fried chicken and waffles. Do you, your, do you eat pork? Uh, unfortunately, I don't. Okay. Unfortunately, I don't eat pork, but yes, I eat meat, I eat beef, I eat chicken. And your customers enjoy it, so you know and it's good. And the customers enjoy it, this is the most important. Diallo tells me he isn't religious. He grew up in Guinea, in West Africa, and he just didn't have much pork growing up. It isn't his preference. And I'm reminded of my conversation again with Inbo. You know, anywhere that I eat, the, the new places that are opening up, I, I can't even think whether they have pork or whether they have shellfish on the menu because everything seems to be open. And so people aren't really even asking that anymore. They're asking what's good. I want what's tasty and what's interesting. In Israel and in the South, in 2017, pork can be political. But it doesn't always have to be. And with the Israeli culinary scene welcoming more and more global players, fried chicken and waffles might sound even more appealing than making a statement with pig. People opt in or opt out for a variety of reasons. Even with the increase in kosher availability in the South, there was still pork at my Passover table in Birmingham this year, and I bet the same for my extended family in Memphis. Who knows what the future holds for pig in Tel Aviv or in Tennessee? I'm a porker, I live under a tree. Oh, 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 yeah. Tomorrow they're going to kill me. Oh, 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 yeah. So will I ask you to please stop eating pig meat? Oh, 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 yeah. Pig meat, I'm a porker and I'm being killed by This episode was reported by Margaret Weinberg. It was produced by Ryan Katz and edited by Sarah Camp Milam. Gravy's theme music is by Wendell Patrick, and donor music is by Jazar. Robin Miniter is Gravy's smart and enterprising intern. Special thanks to Truck Deluxe in Tel Aviv and New York University's Gallatin School for Individualized Study. For more Gravy, go to southernfoodways.org. There you can find photos from Margaret's trip to Israel and a list of topical resources, including music from today's episode. Coming up, a taste of the next episode of Gravy. But first... Dining history in Birmingham, Alabama has been shaped by Greek Southerners. Take Johnny's, a Homewood restaurant owned by Timothy Hansis. The restaurant serves as a tribute to his grandfather, who came to America in 1921 from Greece on a cattle boat. Johnny Hans has worked his way up in the restaurant business before starting his own place, paving the way for Timothy to make his mark. SFA has a film, Johnny's Greek in Three. It documents Timothy Hans's and the role of Greek Southern families in shaping Birmingham dining. I'm Greek slash Southern, and I don't think I had a choice but to do anything but cook. This is what I love to do, and it's the right way. It's how it's supposed to be done. To watch Johnny's Greek in 3, visit southernfoodways.org. While you're online, we'd ask that you consider becoming an SFA member. Membership dollars support all SFA work, including film, oral history, and this gravy podcast. Here at the SFA, a lot of us are coffee shop people. We spend our mornings in coffee shops. We abscond to coffee shops when we aim to get work done. I wrote this send-off in a coffee shop. Today... Christian coffee shops are spreading across the South. 
How does a faith-based coffee house affect your morning caffeine fix? That's next time on Gravy. I'm John T. Edge for the Southern Foodways Alliance. Thanks for listening to Gravy. As you go about your day, please remember, make cornbread, not war.